Welcome to episode 407 of A Doctor A Day, a Doctor Who podcast. My name is David, and I'm here with my wife, Ginger. Hello. Here we're going to talk about episode two of Shada. Nice to see uh, another reprise of the, the the ending from our last last episode. And then we move on to the Doctor and Romana sitting amongst books and books and books all over the floor and going, picking them up and going through them and piling them in between them and, um, you know, saying titles out like a illustrated bird history of Britain or something like that and the time machine and she has Wuthering Heights and what else? So they Sweeney Todd. Up, Sweeney Todd. Um, so they have this huge stack of books that they are adding to and Mom says, is it really important to find this book? Um, you know, it's probably just boring Gallifreyan law or something, you know. And he says, well, no, it's, it's we don't know what powers it could have. Um, it's an artifact. It's important. We should find it. And she says, oh, I just thought the, the talk of all this power in the artifacts was just something that you go along with, like when you do the oath of the Time Lord and at the Academy you just kind of mouth the words and so she starts saying the oath and the doctor joins in at some point and then I forget how they get on the subject of the criminal but I got this part of the conversation anyway it leads to talk about this um, I guess about breaking the laws and the rules of um the great criminal ma- mastermind Sally Avon and uh, the doctor's kind of a fan of his and uh, she asked him about his old oh, before my time um, but then he asked oh he's more of a contemporary of the professor and he asked the professor about this criminal and the professor says oh he doesn't have remind doesn't remember about that but he he just remembers that he had the student come and borrow some books and so he's trying to remember who the student was it's like um well i don't know i can't can't remember his name my mind is like a now what is that i can't remember what that is and they're all trying to help him remember and uh what the student looked like and and he's gonna b b and b b and they say c and then there's no sim that's what, I, that's what my mind is like. Um, and they're disappointed that he's not remembering the student. And then he's, he works through it a little bit more and he remembers it was Parsons. Chris Parsons. And um, then we learn that Chris uh, Parsons has the book and he tells his friend Claire about the book um, in the physics lab where they both work. Professor remembers Chris, and he, he knows his whole history, um, even his graduation and what he gets his degree and even though that hasn't happened yet since he is Time Lord. And he says, oh, he should be in the physics lab. So the doctor says, well, I'll be back in like two minutes. And then he tells the Romana that if he's not back in two hours to uh, lock themselves into the TARDIS and signal for help the doctor heads off on a bicycle that he's apprehended from somewhere um, we also see Chris on a bicycle um, 
heading somewhere on campus. Um, Skagra um, asked uh, uh, Watkins, what, what was his name? Sorry. Yeah, Watkins. Watkins. Um, when he sees him, if the professor is um, available now. And he says, yes, the doctor left some time ago. So uh, Umana is, is shivering at the, by the fireplace, and the professor asks her if she's cold. She says, no, just the, the screamy voices has got her a little unnerved. And he says, oh, a good cup of tea would be good for that. The second time he's off with her tea, I think, anyway. So he goes off to do that and finds out, oh, wait, no, I, I'm, all, I'm out of milk, so I don't have enough milk. And she says, oh, don't worry about that. And then, but no, he's going to go get go out and get milk now. So she says, no, 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 we have plenty. So I'll go in the TARDIS and get some. He says, oh, you won't be right back because the kitchen is way far away from the control room and those things. And um, oh, he recognizes it as a type 40 as well. And... Uh, she says, well, I'll, g I'll get some so um, to keep him from going out. As she disappears into his TARDIS, Skagra enters. He accosts the professor and says he, he wants the book. Give him the book. He wants the book from the Panopticon. And the professor says, well, how do you know about the Panopticon? And, and I don't have any book. I mean, I have books. They're all around here, but I don't, I don't know. I don't have, that. I don't have your book. Then he threatens the professor with the sphere that comes, rises out of his bag, and then comes over to the professor and attaches itself to his head. And the um, the professor falls down onto his knees and then onto the ground. Doctor goes to the lab and meets Chris's friend Claire, and decides to examine the book closely. So Ramana comes out of a TARDIS, uh, followed by K-9, and they see that the professor is on the ground, um, unconscious. Uh, K-9, she thinks he's dead. K-9 says, no, he, but he's in a deep coma. He's had psychoactive extraction. Um, Chris Parsons enters and meets Ramana and uh, sees the professor is, is in a bad way. Um, he says, well, I just came by because the, the professor loaned me some books. And he says, oh, the book? You, this book? Do you have it with you? And he says, no, I left it at the lab. Well, there was a doctor there. Well, I didn't, I don't need a doctor. I'm not, I'm not ill. And he says, no, the doctor. Like, he's going to understand that. Um, K-9 uh, then says that the professor is, uh, is fading. Um, the Ramana then <clears throat> excuse me, tells Parsons to go into the TARDIS, go in where to find the med medicine kit in the TARDIS. Um, very complicated directions. And he says, oh, if I thought for a minute you are telling me to go into the police box. I was. So he he goes in, looks in, comes right back out and is pointing back like with mouth agape. Like, uh, what? You know? And, uh, He's, she says, go on or something. And he goes in and he does return with this medical kit. Uh, it's kind of an electronic collar thing that she fits around him. And she explains that the um, electronic collar will 
take over the functions, his bodily functions, so that his autonomic brain will not have to do those things and will free up so that he can think. Chris says that, you know, that's not possible. The autonomic system is what makes your body work. Um, back at the, at the physics lab, the doctor finds out that the book is minus 20,000 years old. So, um, back at his invisible spaceship, Skagra is uh, trying to glean information from the professor's brain to find out about where the book is. He's able to see some cloudy images of people coming to, uh, like a student coming to borrow the book, but not really who they are. Um, other images we see of uh, the Dr. Romana, but not their faces, uh, other things like that. But he doesn't have the information about the book from the professor's brain. He's not able to find it. K-9 says that the, doc, the professor is deteriorating. He's dying rapid, quickly. Um, Romana uh, quickly asks K-9 to um, magnify the professor's heartbeats. She says heartbeat, but or does she say beats? I think she, well, I don't know if she says beats there, but she does mention his hearts yeah. at one point. So K-9 does this, and we hear... Uh, rhythmic pattern and she's oh you brilliant man he's using Gallifreyan code did she say Gallifreyan Morse code she says Gallifreyan Morse Morse okay to communicate with her so um, she says I, I see what you're doing professor so tell me what do you want to you know want us to know and he's saying beware the sphere beware Shada and he says something else beware something else uh, and uh, then was it the Skrillex Something like that. Um, and then the secret is in the... And he dies. So the doctor is riding back from the lab. Skagra meets him on the bridge and says, um, Doctor, I want the book. says, I'm the doctor and you can't have it. Skagra says, well, I have, you know, I want the book. And Doctor just uh, rides off away from him, and Skagra sends the sphere after the Doctor. So he rides away across the bridge, rides through the streets of Cambridge, and um, there's an a cappella group along the way singing Chattanooga Choo Choo. And as the Doctor rides past, he beeps his, he uh, dings his little bicycle bell. And continues on his way, being chased by the uh, the gray orb. As he rounds the corner of the book, a, a book, I imagine it's the book, falls out of his basket on the bike. As the doctor rides off, not noticing the sphere still chasing him, Skagra comes up and he finds the book, opens it, and takes it away. The doctor leaves his bike next to a no cycling sign and uh, runs off uh, trying to confuse the sphere. So he runs through some of the streets uh, of the shops of town, um, but the sphere is still uh, finding him out. 
Doctor is down an alleyway trying to climb over a fence when the sphere catches up to him. Doctor falls back from the fence and the sphere is right there and it's coming towards him. And we end. That sequence with Professor Carnotis is one of my least favorites in this uh, in this story. You mean using Gallifreyan Morse code? Oh, that okay. Really? Well, my thought was that would it be called Morse code? Exactly. That's one of my big problems with it, and I know she's probably just using that term. So that we understand what she's talking about, but that's still, it causes me to pull right out of the story and think, well, they wouldn't call it that. Yeah, that was my thought, like, Morse? Okay, why would they have an Earth invention? Yeah. Or if it wasn't invented here and we just, you know. Had she just referred to it as Gallifreyan code, code or something? I wouldn't have had an issue. Were you sending a coded message? Yeah. In his heartbeat. That would have been better. Or say it like Morse code. Yeah, for the benefit of Parsons. Yes. Say, well, he, if he could, you know, say, well, well, what is that? Why are you doing that? He's, it's like Morse code. He's sending me a message. He's trying to communicate. That would have been much better than saying it with Morse code. Mm-hmm. And then Chris, oh, Chris makes a comment that, well, I can tell that you're not from this planet, are well, you? Well, earlier she had made the comment about the autonomic system, and he said, well, human autonomic system doesn't work like that. And so she reveals that the professor is not human. True. Sorry, I missed saying that. So he was sort of primed for the fact that he is amongst aliens. Yeah. Quite a shocking uh, day for Chris Parsons here. I think about it, but you know, he's borrowed some books innocuously enough, and then one of them starts to, you know, he can't understand it, read it, so he does some research on it and starts to smoke and burn his hand. So he goes back to talk to the professor and finds the professor's in a bad state. goes inside a blue box that is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, Finds out the professor's not human and this woman he just met is also not. Mm -hmm. And uh, sees this machinery attached to the professor and see the professor die. So not a good day for Mr. Parsons, is it? (laughs) No, it is not. (laughs) So, um, yeah, this one being one of the shorter episodes uh, that we had footage on, anyway, is uh, it's still a pretty good story. I'm still interested in what's going on, yeah. what's happening. They just the, do some goofy things. Yeah, well. that does take out of, out of it a little bit. Um, and then there's uh, the whole, you know, D... D. <laughs> the BBC, BBC joke. joke. Yeah, the BBC joke. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Skagra. Does I think does he say? I think he actually says, "I'm Skagra, Doctor. I'm Skagra, and I want the book." And uh, that's why I think he says, "I'm the doctor, and you can't have it." Yes. Yeah. Okay. I missed it. Forgot to say that he introduced himself. Um, and says, "I want the book." <laughs> so that's funny. You can't have it. <laughs> I don't care for the bicycle chase. I think it's a little too long. Yeah. I know that the episode was running short. Even, I mean, in reality, it's, it runs a little short, they said. Yeah. But I, I'm i not a fan of filling, obviously. I talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Well... And then he, he does seem to, I think the production note says that he ends up back kind of where he started. Well, in a way. there's some weird geography going on because of the way they filmed it. Oh, so it wasn't that. It wasn't, in the story, I don't think it was intentional. He gets back no. to where he started. It just happens to be that way, the way that they filmed the different streets that yes. in, re, in the reality of where they're filming, he ends up. Back circled around. Yes. Okay. So it's not, I was going to say, it's not like harking back to the third doctor time where um, he would have a chase on just so he could be on a different type of vehicle and then end up back around and not advancing the story. Correct. No, okay. it's nothing like that. <laughs> Thankfully. But you start to get that feeling a little bit. So we get to see the doctor ride a bicycle. And I'm fine with him riding the bicycle. That's not really my problem. I just think that that whole sequence takes far too long for almost no payoff. And in fact, we'll talk about it when we get to the cliffhanger, but I really don't care for some of the things that lead up to the cliffhanger. Yeah, I think that um, the bicycle chase... The sphere chase could have been shortened at least by half, probably. Mm-hmm. It's still been as effective, or just as effective. Just as effective, yeah, certainly. You didn't need to see all of that. You didn't need to hear the acapella group, although they were pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and I'm okay with the acapella group, given that he was on campus and all that, but... Yeah. But if they were going to cut the, the chase, essentially, mm-hmm. um, they could have easily cut that part. Yeah, that would have been a fine place to cut. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, there's, there's, like I said, it's short episodes. There's not a lot of, not a lot of advancement, but there is some. We find out of, more about the criminal, or we find out about the criminal. This is a mention of another character, uh, Sally Avon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who so, was a contemporary of the professor. Right, who, but the professor says he doesn't remember anything about her. Yes. Which is not unusual since we find out the professor has a mind like a Sith. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. Um, 
that whole sequence is a little too long too, but yeah. at least they tried to make it humorous. True. I'm not convinced they succeeded totally, but that's a different matter altogether. Yeah. yeah. It's a little, uh, it's interesting that when the professor does remember about Chris Parsons, um, he's oh yeah, he, he studied here from here to here, he graduated in this year, it's like, and he hasn't done that yet, you know. It's him getting his tenses mixed up again. That's kind of cute. Mm-hmm. It will make you wonder he's gone forward in time to view what happens to certain students. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that I, I hadn't mentioned, though, when uh, Skyler comes in, the professor's in the kitchen again muttering on about not having milk. We'll have to let me with tea because we don't have milk because he said he's out of milk about four times now. And he says, uh, kind of offhand almost, well, and how many of, our, of you are there? Because I only have seven cups. Because he can hear the voices from the sphere. Mm-hmm. It's um, actually not what he says. That's it? He, there, it? The production notes talk about this. He actually says, how many of there are you? Oh. But apparently that was intentional. It was intentionally written that he would screw up the line. Huh. I'm not entirely convinced of why. Is it to show again that he's... Instead of how many of you are there, how many... Yes. How many of there are you? But I think that's an interesting thing that he, he first tells the doctor and Romana that, oh, the voices must be other students when they ask about it. Right, and but then, then later they all hear it. Oh, does he? Mm-hmm. When Skagra's outside the, uh, in the courtyard talking to Wilkins the first uh-huh. time, and they all hear it. Oh, okay. Cronotus is actually the first one to hear it. Oh, or the first one to mention it. Notice that. I thought it was Romana. He said, oh, I heard the voices again, and but slighter this time. I didn't catch that the professor did. I'm sure he does, but I just don't remember it. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure he was the first one to mention it. But still, it's interesting. He says, I only have seven cups. Um, there's a little problem with his spectacles. Yes. That appear and then disappear and then reappear. There's also a problem with his eyes, which can't decide whether they're going to be open or closed or moving when he's supposed to be in a coma. Um. And when he had died, he was still breathing, which I know he has to do, but Usually they try to hide it a little bit. Well, no, you would think that they would try to hide it a little bit, but often we, yes. <laughs> they do not. You would hope that they would try to hide it, but often enough in Doctor Who, they don't. Yes. At all. <laughs> like the, one of the, 
Mandible. Mandibles? Mand- um, Mandals. One of the Mandals hmm. in the Nightmare of Eden. Supposed to be dead, and he's obviously breathing on the ground. Yeah. Just, you know, directors, tell him. Okay, hold it in. You're on camera. You're huh? Yeah, you're dead on camera right now. Stop breathing. When I say action, stop breathing. <laughs> when I say action, you're dead again. You wouldn't think they'd have to tell him that. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Plenty of things. Maybe it's just an automatic thing. It's like, like um, when your sister has a picture taken, she closes her eyes. Yeah. Could be. You know, camera, they breathe instead of not breathing. Yes. Um, I don't think I have any very much else, you? No. Um, well, you, you did mention in um, Naimon, uh, Orange mm. of Naimon, that we would see um, another actor from Waiting for God. Yep. So we saw Tom as... Um, soul deed and this time we see Harvey Bates Harvey Baines excuse me as well Chris Parsons Daniel Hill he plays the director or manager of the of the retirement community who was basically always out to make a buck or pay as little as possible for the residents until he was tricked into doing something, the, you know, doing the right thing by Graham Crowden. Such a fun show. Yeah, I've only seen a couple of them. I don't know why. Not. I haven't avoided it on purpose or anything. I just it always seemed seen like it. you were, though, when, when I'd be watching it. You never seemed to want to pay attention to it when it was on. So it always felt like you were avoiding it. I'll try to watch them again sometime. That doesn't matter. I know the ones I haven't cared for, um, particularly, I've not really cared too much for good neighbors or good life. <laughs> Some of it's okay. I love but, that show too. Um, um, May to December, I didn't really get into that much. No, not good television. Um, so cliffhanger? Yeah, so cliffhanger. Trying to see if there's any, just think if there's anything else to mention. So my problem with the cliffhanger is that the doctor tries to climb under the fence. Did he? Yeah, he's half under the fence when oh. the sphere catches up to him. Oh, I couldn't tell. He's just scrabbling his feet, or he's trying to actually get somewhere. Like he's trying to go under the fence then. Oh. Yes. Unfortunately. Like that was going to happen. And yet, 
He tries anyway. Was the, f the fence was locked. Couldn't they have tried a sonic screwdriver? They might as well have done because uh, it gets him out of every other scrape. Why not that one? Although, as we learn in other Doctor Who, that would not be an electronic lock, so maybe it wouldn't work on. Yeah, that's a good point. It's it doesn't a work padlock. On, yeah, it doesn't work on non-electronics at this point. You're right. Well, okay then. But still, you know, that was... Been, that was one of my first thoughts. It's like, why didn't he just unlock it? Oh, yeah. There's that. You know. Plus, even if he'd made it to the top, he would have snagged his scarf on the barbed wire. That wouldn't have made him happy. <laughs> that would have made the doctor mad. You don't want to make the doctor mad. Oh, is he going to Hulk out or something? He wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Oh, I'm married to you. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> Very funny. So are we worried for the doctor? No. Are we worried for me? <laughs> Maybe. If you don't hear from us tomorrow, <laughs> you'll know why. Or if you only hear from me tomorrow, you'll know why. You don't know how to work the equipment. No, not really. No. Um, no, we're not really worried. I mean... He's not in danger. No. Not really. Not really. There is a danger that um, the professor struggled against the sphere, and that's why he ended up in this deep coma and ended up dying, um, according to K-9. Uh... And even Skagra said, don't struggle. Um, so if the sphere does catch up to the doctor and attach to him, he would probably know enough not to struggle. He might even be able to trick it by thinking of other things. That's my guess. And be able to have it just release him and then maybe he'll get out of it that way. So he's not really... I wouldn't think that he's in danger of the same fate of the professor, but I think that's maybe what they want you to wonder about. Mm -hmm. They want you to think that. So, it's okay. It's not very good. That's a little bit of the googly-eyed doctor. Well, it seems like a fairly obvious false cliffhanger. Yeah. They're, you know that they're all sort of false cliffhangers, but this seems a lot more obvious than most of them do. Right. It's it's more of a... It's like directional. It's trying to make you think of it in a, in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And those aren't the best ones. The best ones are... It's presenting you with the, with the information. This is what's happening now. But they're more effective when you have more questions to consider. It leaves you with, how could this go? What if this happens? What if that, you know, so that it's a little more interesting. There's more supposition on your part to keep you guessing mm -hmm. and make you more anxious to see the next episode, find out what the resolution is. See if you are 
idea was right or see, you know, just how to, how it resolves itself, um, hopefully in an interesting way. Right. But those are the more effective cliffhangers for me for the story because if you're going to put something in this type of episodal form, then you need to put some effort into the cliffhanger since you know you're going to have one, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not like some of the weekly shows we have now that are not always a to be continued, you know. But when they know they're going to have it to be continued, they put some effort into, you know, setting things up at the ending to leave you wondering and, and questioning when they do it well anyway. Yeah. But just a weekly show that has overarching stories, we don't always have a a cliffhanger like these were designed to be. So. Is that it? Um, I think so. All right. Well, join us tomorrow when we talk about episode three of Shada. Join us then, and thank you for listening.